Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. What a good day. We're going to continue on with our sermon series called The Way. We're going to pick up today uh, with what we're uh, basically looking at the eye of a needle. And so this is going to be a familiar passage to a lot of people where Jesus is interacting with a rich young ruler, a rich official, and, and basically says, for the wealthy, finding eternity, getting into heaven, eternal life, it's as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. So we're going to get into that. It's a sermon about money, but I want to tell you that it's not about money. Um, and we'll see if you believe me. I actually think the sermon is about um, Man on Wire. Have you ever heard of this movie? I'm going to put a, a, the poster on the screen there for you. You can see it. Um, this Man on Wire is a 2008 documentary about a 1974 wire walker, high, high wire walker, named uh, Philippe Petit. He's from uh, France, and he had this, he was like as a boy, was just a daredevil, was always climbing things, um, scaling things, walking between crazy high things. He started by, by walking, he strung a line between the two towers of uh, the, the cathedral at Notre Dame in Paris. And then he moved on to the Harbor Bridge in Sydney and he'd string a cable there. And he, he always gets arrested after he does it because people don't really like the idea of you doing this. And, and as a little boy, he was sitting in the dentist office. He's eight or nine years old. And he saw a picture of these World Trade Centers that were going to be built in New York City. And there was just a drawing of them, like the artist rendering. And he said at that moment, he had a, like a terrible cavity and a bad toothache, and he tore the page out, he stifled the cough, tore the page out of the magazine and left because he was so enthralled with the idea. It was exhilarating to him, this idea that he could walk between these towers 1,350 feet in the air. He said it consumed him. It became the thing he was, he was meant to do. And so in 1974, as the, the film chronicles, he did it. He and friends, and you should just go watch it. I think it's on Amazon Prime for free. You can rent it somewhere. It's on YouTube for free if you watch the ads. Um, and it's like a bank robbery that they had to plan to get all of this equipment and run a one-inch metal wire from building to building and how they make it work, and it's just incredible. And the whole thing is done without a safety net, which is why I think that's what this is about today is, is Philippe Petit went through life without a safety net. He walked between incredible peaks without a safety net. He was always on the edge of, of death, and yet that's what he would say gave him life, is that there wasn't a safety net involved. So that's where we're going to go today. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, we'll put it on the screen. You can read it with me. One day, uh, one of the local officials asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't you? No illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and mother. And so the local official said, yes, I've, I've kept all of them for as long as I can remember. And when Jesus heard that, he said, there's only one thing left to do then. Sell everything you own and give it away to the poor. You will have riches in heaven. Then come, follow me. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. And seeing his reaction, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? I'd say it's easier to thread a camel through a needle's eye than to get a rich person into God's kingdom. Since 
disciples heard this and were taken aback. Then who has any chance at all, the others asked. No chance at all, Jesus said. If you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. And so Peter tried to regain some initiative. We left everything and, and followed you, didn't we? And Jesus said, yes, and you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home or spouse or brothers and sisters, parents, children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back multiplied many times over in your lifetime, and then the bonus of eternal life. So when we talk about Jesus, like radical Jesus, like blow your hair back Jesus, um, um, kind of messing with the culture Jesus, we usually think of Jesus flipping tables outside the temple in the temple courts. That's when Jesus was at his most radical, when he's, he's physically flipping tables over of the money changers who were cheating the people. That's when he was radical. And I would say this is probably more radical than that. This thing that he's doing with the people, he has this great crowd as he's about to enter Jerusalem. He's on his way to his eventual crucifixion, and this great crowd has joined him. There's disciples, and then there's Samaritans, and there's hangers-on, and there's people listening on the fringes. And they all have a similar worldview. It's actually one that, that we probably share too, which is that goodness and wealth are, are tied. That if you are good, wealth follows. And if you are wealthy, it's probably because you did something right. And Jesus is decoupling these two ideas right in front of them. He's de-emphasizing them as well. Morally and financially, this guy talking to him, this official, is, is a good person. He's morally uh, upstanding, and he's obviously very wealthy. And so historically, if you read your Old Testament, you go through the Bible, you will see this being uh, brought through that often righteousness was rewarded with material gain of some sort. Not always, but enough that you would go, yeah, I'd kind of generalize that to be true. God's reward for righteousness is often material, and that may still be true. But what we also saw is oftentimes poverty and calamity were joined up together. Poverty and sin were joined up together that this was a thing. And Jesus comes over and he kind of flips the table of that idea. And you and I believe it too, whether we want to admit it or not. Often in our, our worldview, we sort of believe that those two things are tied. And we've usually oversimplified it in one way or another, but often we think that wealth is some sort of blessing for righteousness on some form or another. And some believe that, that wealth is directly a blessing from being righteous, from doing the right thing. You made a good choice, you followed God, he rewards you. Others would say, well, no, I don't think that at all. I think wealth is, is a sign of oppression. That's how people oppress each other in this world. Wealth is this, is this tool, this lever people put on each other. Some people would say hardship or poverty is due to moral bankruptcy or bad decisions. Others would say no, poverty and hardship is the result of oppressive levers of wealth. We could have all these different ideas and, and opinions in this modern worldview. What we can agree on is that probably most of those things can be true and false at the same time. That there can be a, a little bit of both. That you could probably be a righteous person and unknowingly oppressive. Or you could, you could be an impoverished person who's righteous and who maybe made a bad choice. You can be a wealthy person who's unrighteous but made a good choice. There's all these different factors that come in. And so what Jesus is saying is we need to decouple the idea that your goodness leads to, to blessing, that your righteousness leads to, to your blessing, and that you can work your way into the ultimate blessing, which is eternal life. We can also agree that wealth comes and goes, and it's largely out of our control. We don't like to believe this because, well, it feels good to get rewarded for doing a good thing. But largely, wealth is outside of our control. You could be the world's greatest farmer. You are in Wood County. You are the greatest farmer in the history of the world. You have a bumper crop. You've built a beautiful silo. 
You are diligent. You are up before the sun, and you don't go home. You don't go in until the sun has long been down. You work hard. You have great practices, great diligence. You do everything right, and you have that beautiful silo, so you have great stewardship. So when you get that crop, you have a great place to store it. And then a drought or a tornado or an insurance disaster is all it takes for you to have nothing. You're a drought or a tornado or an insurance failure away from total ruin. Meanwhile, there's some guy in the basement somewhere trolling around the internet who bought a joke cryptocurrency at just the right time and is now a millionaire. So, so wealth can be tied to good decisions. I made a good decision. It worked out for me. It can also be tied to random luck. It can also be tied to strange timing. It can also be tied to a thousand things. And so he's decoupling this idea that they're always one and the same. It doesn't mean that they're never one and the same. It means that they're not always one and the same. So Jesus flips that narrative that money means we're blessed. And instead, as Tim Keller puts it in a 1992 sermon he preached on a parallel passage, he says this, the one thing the Bible is constant about is that wealth is more spiritually dangerous position to be in than poverty. It's like Jesus zooms out from here and goes, look, let's stop talking about money for a minute and let's just, let's acknowledge this larger thing. And Keller kind of summarizes it here perfectly, that wealth is a more dangerous position to be in spiritually than poverty. Not a blessing, it's not a burden, it's not inherently good or bad, it's just more spiritually dangerous. Why? Because money is a measure of control. Money is always in our society, always has been a measure of control. Money allows you more control. Bill Gates, if he decides he wants to go on a beach vacation, he has more control than I do. When I decide I want to go on a beach vacation, I Google certain things and hope to find a good deal at a nice beach with a cheap flight and maybe get there. Then we stay for a while and we go on a beach vacation. When Bill Gates wants to go on a beach vacation, he buys the island, calls his pilot, gets on one of his jets, and he goes there. I don't have as much control as he does. I, I may not be able to buy the island, but he just, he's like, I want that island and everyone in it. They're mine. I take them. And, and he just does it. He has control. Similarly, you have more control over the person who is living on the streets. They have less control than you. You're hungry. You didn't have breakfast this morning, or maybe you had breakfast and it started your metabolism. And why did I do that? Because if I do that, then I'm hungry in church and my stomach growls and I think somebody heard me. And, and you're hungry. You have the control right now. You can pull your phone out of your pocket. You can get on DoorDash. They will deliver it in the building if you'd like them to. I would not be offended if somebody walks in in like 20 minutes with donuts. I'd just be impressed. If you order an extra coffee, I'll take my coffee black. They can come set it right here. Tip them five bucks, eight bucks, whatever. I'm good with that. You can do that, though, because you have control in your pocket because of your wealth. Whereas someone living on the streets who's begging for change right now, they may not have that same control. They have to endure the shame of going into whatever local restaurant will not throw them out and then count out the pennies and the nickels in order to get the Egg McMuffin that they need to get through the day. There's different levels of control. More money, more problems, maybe. More money, more control, for sure. This is where you're thinking. For a sermon you said was not about money, you sure are talking a lot about money. <laughs> Point taken. Here's what's funny, and this, I think this is what's interesting to me, is, is, is Keller points out in that same sermon I quoted earlier, he pointed out that, and this is something I just said, never noticed. This official never brings up money. Jesus does. The official doesn't say, tell me about what I need to do with my finances. He says, what about eternal life? And Jesus pivots 
into finances. Eternal life, commandments, Jesus goes, "Uh uh-huh, no, that's good. What about money, though? Which is not always what Jesus did. Nicodemus was very wealthy. You'll read John 3, and you'll you'll see Jesus interacting with a wealthy Nicodemus. They never talk about money. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. And we're told that he was pleased to give up half of his wealth. And Jesus was pleased with that. And yet we have this guy, and Jesus says, give it all away. Think we can talk about eternal life? Sure, let's talk about your money. I think this is what makes Jesus the wonderful counselor. We use that term around Christmas sometimes. It's one of the names Jesus was given. Jesus cuts straight to the heart. He doesn't bother with uh, the niceties. He doesn't small talk. He just goes straight to the issue. Jesus knows what's holding the official back. Because even though this isn't about money at all, Jesus knows that it has nothing to do with money. It's still for this official is about his money. Which must be confusing and maddening for this guy who comes asking for help. He comes asking for clarity. He's he's following Jesus. He wants to know what's the next thing I need to do in order to get to this kingdom that you're talking about. I want to hear about eternal life. And Jesus goes, I want to hear about how you feel being really poor. Because money is control. And we love control because it is our level or our lever in an unpredictable world that is the one thing we feel like we can hold on to. And the problem is we love safety and security that control brings often more than we love God. Insecurity is the greater pandemic. Because we all deal with it in various ways. We all have different triggers and traumas that have led into it. We all have brokenness in us that leads to our insecurity in different places. And the result is we grasp for security wherever we can find it. And the beauty of control, what makes it so devious, is there's always a little bit more to be found. You can't buy total control, but you can always buy a little bit more. When we lived in San Antonio, it was, you know, like any big city, there's a crime thing happening. There's people just kind of are more aware of crime. We moved here and just thought this was Mayberry, Pleasantville. This is not even real. Like, we thought we were on a movie set because people were like, we don't lock our house and we don't lock our car. And I dropped my phone in the yard and six days later, someone turned it at the police station. And you're like, this is not real. We came from, uh, we lived in a pretty decent neighborhood in San Antonio. Our neighbors were doctors and lawyers. And still... Burglary was a regular thing. Crime was a regular thing. You leave your car in the driveway, and there's anything that appears that could be valuable in it, it will be gone in the morning. Your window is smashed. You park at the church, and you leave your purse in your car at the church. You'll come out of church, and your window is smashed. And we had a parking lot team, and we would split the earnings. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) And so the natural progression in that sort of environment where crime seems everywhere, where burglary seems always on looming near you, is you do what? If you can afford it, you get an alarm. Feel a little bit of control, you feel a little better. And then you also, if you can afford it, you get a dog. Why we originally got a dog was because my wife said I'm home alone all day and I don't know if I trust this neighborhood and at least the dog would bark if somebody got close to the house and that would warn me. So we got a dog. Then eventually, you, if you can afford it, you get a little more control. You can put cameras on your house. If you can afford it, you move out of that neighborhood into the neighborhood across the street that has the gates. Because gated neighborhoods are everything, and they're everywhere. And then you get in the gated neighborhood, but you realize that everybody's got the clicker, or somebody gave away the code, and so people are getting robbed in the gated neighborhood too. And so you get the gated neighborhood, 
with the cameras at the gate. So at least you can figure out who came in and out. And that doesn't work either because people still get robbed. And so you have the gated neighborhood with the guards at the gate that have to let you in, check you in, see your ID and all that. And yet, you got friends that live in those neighborhoods and they're still getting robbed. And so we now have the gated neighborhoods with the armed guards at the gates. And guess what? got your painting van and you got your fake ID and you still can do everything you want to do. But every step on there was another financial step towards gaining a little bit more control and peace of mind. But you can't outspend brokenness. And you can't buy security as much as we try. The problem is in this sort of world, if we don't recognize we're doing it, then money can become our lever of control. It becomes the idol we chase. Idols are often just good things that have been elevated to God level. Idols are good things that have become our source of trust. Good things that become our source of trust. Is there something in your world that's a good thing that you trust in more than you mean to? Freedom is an idol. Position and power at work is an idol. Family is an idol. Happiness is an idol. Sex, money, entertainment, they are idols. They are things in which we trust to remove just a little bit of our insecurity, to fix a little bit of our brokenness, maybe just to distract us, which is where we come back to the man on wire. Life is a high-wire act. You and I are, are walking through life as a high-wire act. You and I are living in a place, whether we know it or not, where there are spiritual forces at work that this is a precarious life. This is a dangerous life. And whether we want to admit it or not, the safety net has been pulled out from under us. And sometimes it feels like it's impossible. How would I do this life without a safety net? And so we even call it that, don't we? When we talk about like being wise with our money and we talk about saving, which are all good things. Don't hear me say that they're not. We talk about our nest egg or our safety net. You always have your savings. In the high wire act of life, money can become our safety net because that's what Jesus is saying about this official, about this ruler, is money has become your safety net and you don't have to trust me because you can always trust it. That's what he smelled out here. That's why when the guy says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying, you need to trust me. But Jesus doesn't just say you're needing to trust me. Jesus goes, here's what you already trust and it has to go away so that you can trust me. And so each and every one of us have something in our life that is competing with Christ for that, that safety net status, that trust status, that if I just have this, I'll be okay status. It's not about being rid of your cash. It's not about minimalism or consumption. Jesus is not a communist or a collectivist or a capitalist. This isn't about your money. It's about his money. And it's about Jesus. Jesus is asking, can you pull the safety net from your life? still be okay. Can you follow me and can that be enough? Or I would say it this way, could it be possible that if you have nothing but Jesus, you have all you need? That's the question that we're ultimately getting at is, could it be possible that if you have nothing but Jesus, you have all you need? And so we have to do the diagnostic work of going of all the other things I add to that equation how do I pull those out? How do I remove those from the equation? If I only had Jesus, would that be enough for me? Because it's all about trust. 
It's all about trust. It's not about your money. It's not about his money. It's about trust. Where do you put your trust? And if you have Jesus, is that enough? Do you trust wholly in him or do you trust sort of in him, but I got these backup plans because Jesus falls through? What Jesus is trying to show us that it is true that if you have only him, he is enough. What he's telling the rich man is this. I want you to feel the freedom of having nothing to your name and having everything you need. Man, if we don't need to hear that sometimes. Jesus is trying to give him the freedom of having nothing to his name and everything he needs. Jesus is saying, I am your safety net. The trick is he doesn't expect us to live without a safety net. He wants to be the safety net. It's about pulling the other ones out so he can be that for us so that we can entrust our lives to him. And this is where we get to the eye of the needle. This is where it gets difficult because for the rich man, it is difficult to walk away from a lot or a little, which is harder. Is it difficult to walk away from a million dollars in a pile or a dollar in a pile? Well, those four quarters, this million dollars, it's easier to walk away from the four quarters, isn't it? And so he says, it is harder for a rich person to leave that and not trust that than it is for a poor person. And this is like sort of objectively true in all of our experience. It's much easier to leave nothing than it is to leave something. When you have nothing to lose, there's no risk in following Jesus. It's why so many of us found him at the bottom of a barrel, at the end of our rope. It's why so many of us found Jesus in our worst moment because we had nothing left to lose. And there he was. So it would stand to reason that the more you have, the harder it is to lay it all down to follow Jesus. And then, like he says in verse 26 and verse 27, they ask him, then who has any chance at all? And his response was, no one. Nobody has any chance at all. No chance. If you think you can pull it off by yourself. If you think you can inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you think you can be part of this eternal life that I'm offering, if you think that by yourself you can do it, you can't. There's no chance. But there's every chance if you trust God to do it. Saying your goodness isn't enough, your wealth isn't enough. In fact, it's a hindrance. Who can get there, God? Who, who is it, Jesus, that can get in? Nobody, no chance, none at all. Imagine the pregnant pause for the disciples as they lean in and they say, who can inherit the kingdom? And Jesus goes, nobody. Well, who has any chance, Jesus? And he goes, nobody has any chance at all. I'd have to think maybe he smirks because he knows there's more. And they must just be deflated like, what? If you think you could pull it off by yourself. But with me, with God, all things are possible. So come back to the high wire act. Come back to Philip Petit, 1,350 feet above the streets of lower Manhattan. A one-inch diameter metal cord that they shot with a bow and arrow from one to the other as they posed to be maintenance men. Amazing. And he said he was born to do this. They asked him, how are you going to do it? He said, it's impossible. That's sure. It's impossible. So I must get started. I thought, what a great attitude. It's impossible, so we must get started. He also said, this is probably the end of my life. When they started researching it, they started going. He visited multiple times. He got people inside the building to help him. He said, this is surely the end of my life. Death is very close when your life is lived on the edge. This is surely the end of my life. Sounds a whole lot like what the rich young ruler must be saying, what this official must be saying. If you're asking me to give up everything I own, this is surely the end of my life. And Jesus goes, yeah, 
But it's the beginning, too. Because Philip Petit would say, this is what I was born to do. This is why I was created, and I don't understand it, but it's what I'm here to do. And he dedicated his life to doing it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, first, it is impossible, that's sure. And secondly, he says, but what if we pull the safety net too? What if this is your life, your walk across the high wire of life? And Jesus goes, not only is it impossible, but I'm going to pull the safety net and see how you feel about it. Your job, your status, your family, your friends, your money, your freedom. Can you let go of all the things you trust in so your only trust is in me, Jesus says. That's answering the question, where does eternal life lie? Where is eternal life hidden in all of this? And Jesus goes, if you get rid of all those things, it's all that's left. It's actually, it's the perfect addition by subtraction. You get, you get rid of all these things and you can finally see the path to eternal life. It's just me. In me, with me, only me. It's impossible. And Jesus is essentially saying, now watch me do it for you. Because he's days away from entering Jerusalem. He's days away from arrest and crucifixion. He's days away from rising from death. It's impossible, that's sure. Watch me get to work doing it for you. In the cross and resurrection, Jesus carries us from no chance at all to welcome home my good and faithful servant. That's the path. Sinners become saints, lost become found, broken made whole, wanderers come home to security and safety like no other. The kingdom of God is the place of greatest security and safety, and it's also the place where all of the other things we trust have fallen away. So your job today as you are in here, the reason God had you in this room today, the reason God has you tuning in and going, what is it that I'm supposed to hear today? The reason you are here, I believe, is to ask yourself a question. What are your safety nets? Maybe you have one, maybe you have a hundred. What are the things in which you trust? That when you're feeling insecure, when you're dealing, whether it's a medical thing that you're walking through, if it's a financial thing, a relational thing, what are the things that you go, if I just have this, I'm okay? What are those idols and places of trust? What, if you are really honest, is there for you to fall back on? Should, should you wobble on the rope of life? What is there for you to fall into to catch you? Is it your health or your well-being? Is it your position or your power? Is it your money or your family? Is it your religion or your reputation? Jesus says, give them all away. Lay them down. Release them. Because what Jesus wants to show you is that he's enough. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to take out a checkbook and put all your money into the black box so that the church has a billion dollars and you have nothing, and then you'll really know who God is. It's not that. I'm saying you need to know what the safety nets are so that you can remove them from that place of trust in your life. Because what happens when we do that, and this is such a beautiful thing, when Jesus says, if you can do this, then you'll receive blessing like with a multiplier effect. When he, when he reads the beginning, when he, when he finished it, we read it, and we kind of just flip through it because we're talking about money, and it gets, we get it confused. When it all comes back multiplied many times over in your lifetime, the bonus is eternal life. Jesus is basically saying if you're willing to walk away, and he names everything, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, possessions, dogs, cats, whatever, all of it. If you're willing to walk away from that, it will be returned to you with a multiplier. And here's what I think that means. 
when you let go of your safety nets and you remove them from being safety nets in your life, they return to you as sacred blessings. When your family is no longer your safety net, you begin to enjoy them as something different. You enjoy them not as your place of trust and your hope for well-being. You enjoy them as God's great blessing in your life. When your money is no longer your safety net and you're not counting on it for your happiness and yet it shows up anyway, it becomes an incredible blessing. It's something from God rather than something you're treating as God. When your health, when you have health, you don't wake up in the morning and go, thank God I have my health, meaning thank my health because it's my God. You say, thank God I have my health because I don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, and yet you've given it and I have another day. When we remove things from being our safety nets, they then come back to us multiplied as sacred blessings from him. So it doesn't mean write a million-dollar check and put it in the box. It means lay the money down and watch that million dollars become a blessing in your life in a way you never expected. Instead of a burden dragging you down as a blessing from above. It's about letting go. Life is a journey of letting go. That's the point today. Life is a journey of letting go. The high-wire act of life is our journey of letting go of all of the distractions and all of the other ideas and all of the idols and all of the false places we put our trust and to say, I don't need a safety net because I have Jesus. And even though I can't see him, he's working. Even though I don't know that he's in the room, he's here. Even though I can't feel him, he's working. And so as we walk that tight wire, as we walk those precarious heights, we don't have to look down and wonder. We just know that we're safe. So today, your challenge is to pull the safety net to let go of control, and in doing so, maybe actually grab hold of life and the path to eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, uh, we are so much this ruling official in so many ways, struggling with all of our own uh, places where we seek trust and where we uh, seek to make ourselves whole and find security. God, it is impossible to even imagine laying it all down. It's impossible, that's sure. It feels that way. Yet, Father, we would ask that you would give us the courage to begin laying down those other things that we put our trust in to set them aside, to pull them as safety nets from below us so that we might experience you as our ultimate safety and security. We might experience you and your kingdom, salvation, and your glory as the place where our hearts are fully filled. Father, as we think through the impossibility of kind of ridding our life of all the other things, Thank you that you said that you make the impossible possible, that you make all things possible, that in you we have hope and in you we have a path. So, Father, give us grace along the journey as we struggle and wobble on the tightrope of life. Give us mercy when we fail. God, give us eyes that see that you are the only thing that keeps us whole and safe and secure. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death on the cross and the resurrection that brings us life. God, we say thank you in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online.
Thanks for listening.